The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Is President Donald Trump already violating the Constitution? That's the contention of a new lawsuit filed by a government watchdog group today. It's represented by some of the biggest names in constitutional law. The claim is that Trump's continuing stake in his business puts him in violation of the Constitution's Emoluments Clause, which bars government officials from accepting things of value from foreign governments. The group, known as Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, points to money paid to Trump's hotels and golf courses, payments on leases held at Trump Tower, and the deals that confer rights overseas to Trump's show The Apprentice. The group is asking a federal judge in Manhattan to bar Trump from accepting payments from foreign governments and government-owned entities. Moments ago, Trump told reporters the lawsuit was, quote, totally without merit. He has taken the position that under the law, presidents cannot have a conflict of interest. Does the lawsuit stand a chance? And what would the implications be if it does? Our guests to talk about the new lawsuits new lawsuit are Caroline Fredrickson, president of the American Constitution Society, which has been rather critical of the new president, and Jonathan Adler, a law professor at, K- at Case Western University. Uh, welcome to you both. Caroline, let me start with you. Make, uh-huh. the, ca- make the case for this this lawsuit. What's the argument that says that Trump is violating the, the emoluments? Well, clause? I mean, first of all, uh, he's conflating several things when he says the president uh, has no no conflict of interest. Um, you know there are many statutes uh, and lots of custom about uh, how presidents are supposed to behave to make the American people believe that they have our nation's interests first, not their own uh, pocketbook. Um, but this is the Constitution, um, and what we're talking about is the Emoluments Clause, um, which was uh, uh, adopted by the framers because of great concern about foreign governments being able to influence um, those who run our country and, by definition, to influence the president. Um, it's, it's very squarely on point. It says that no person holding any office of profit or trust shall, without the consent of Congress, accept any president, emolument, office, or title of any kind, whatever, from any king, prince, or foreign state. So, I, you know, I think, um, you know, it's clear that the president is covered by the Emoluments Clause, um, and I think um, the advocates who brought this suit have a very, um, very strong argument um, that there is a potential, certainly, for a violation um, by the payments that are made to the company. Jonathan, Trump's attorneys at Morgan Lewis and Buckius have said the emol- Jonathan, are you still there? I think we've lost him just for just for a few moments. So, Caroline, Trump's attorneys have said that the emoluments clause doesn't apply to arm's length transactions in which the president's business is engaged, such as paying a hotel room bill to a corporate entity. What's your answer to that? Well, I, you know, I honestly, how arm's length uh, is it to have your children running your business? Um, and that's that's not a very long arm for sure. Um, but in any case, I think the issue is really about um, what impact it has on the president and how he makes decisions. 
uh, the, the influence is what they are going to be uh, cultivating. Uh, the knowledge of their spending will be easily conveyed to the president, and it's clear that there could be an influence. So, I, you know, I don't know what kind of arm's length that is, certainly not in my mind. Well, isn't though, if all a foreign government is doing or you know, a foreign official is doing is coming to, say, uh, the Trump International Hotel and paying – you know, whatever rate uh, anybody else would pay there. I, I think that's what they're talking about with an arm's length transaction. Uh, w- why should that be something that potentially puts the president in, in violation of the Constitution? Well, I'd say two things. One is um, we've heard um, a very um, explicit um, decisions by foreign governments to direct their spending to the Trump properties um, and making it publicly known. Um, That's very different from, you know, I'm going to go have lunch there uh, once a month. Um, And so I think that's something that has to be looked into. The other piece is that what's very important about lawsuits is um, that they allow us to have a better understanding of the facts. And through the discovery process, one of the things that I know that the – the, uh, those who are involved with this lawsuit um, hope to get a hold of are the president's tax returns. Um, and in those uh, tax returns, we'd have a much better sense of how much money he's really getting from these foreign governments. And I think that's an important piece of this. I mean, we, we just don't know. I mean, right now, uh, you know, there, there's a possibility that, there, that, that he's not getting any uh, payments from, uh, from foreign governments, but there is a, definitely a possibility that he is. Jonathan Adler is back with us. Jonathan, is standing, which is the plaintiffs showing that they would suffer direct injury, a problem in this lawsuit? Well, I think standing is a huge problem in this lawsuit. As a general matter, uh, saying that you are really concerned that the federal government or or an executive officer is violating the law is not enough to invoke the jurisdiction of federal court. Uh, and in this case, um, I don't believe that, that the plaintiffs have been able to identify anything that causes them a, a legally cognizable injury, let alone satisfies the other requirements of standing that that injury be traceable to the alleged legal violation and that, or that a uh, favorable judgment would redress that injury. Uh, I, think, I think it's, it's an, a very aggressive argument on standing that they're making, and uh, I would not expect it to go very far. Carolyn, what's what, what's your response to that? I I, I find this is one of, one of these issues standing that uh, you know during the Obama years it was the the uh, Republican opponents of, of Obama who were arguing for robust standing, and now the the shoe seems to be on the other foot. Uh, well, you know, I, it, it is an aggressive argument. I, I'd have to agree, but I, I think it has um, some merit. Um, there um, there's a 1982 Supreme Court decision uh, in which a group that uh, was arguing for fair housing um, was able to get standing because uh, it uh, it showed that its use of testers to find out employment discrim- whether there was uh, housing discrimination uh, uh, was cognizable. Um, and so the argument here is that is that crew, the Citizens for Respons- Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, which is the plaintiff, um, is diverting its resources to um, uh, the work that. Uh, 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 it has to do on government transparency, uh, and um, so you know it's certainly there's a parallel. Um, I, I you know I think there's 
it's it's one of the the issues that um, is going to be most litigated in this case, no doubt. Um, but I think it, they've got a claim, a colorable claim, and it's uh, we'll see how the courts take it. We're talking about the new lawsuit that accuses Donald Trump of violating the Constitution through his business dealings with foreign governments. Our guests are Caroline Fredrickson of the uh, American Constitution Society and Jonathan Adler, professor at Case Western. Uh, Jonathan, uh, I think this might have been when you uh, were temporarily off, uh, but Caroline was was making the case for this lawsuit. And basically, the argument is the Emoluments Clause is written very broadly, and these are situations where foreign governments might be able to curry favor with the new president by staying at his hotel uh, or perhaps giving him a sweetheart deal on, on some sort of thing. If the plaintiffs could get over the standing problem. Is there a, a substantive uh, argument that the president is in violation of the Constitution? Uh, there is an argument. and I, I do think there is serious academic debate over uh, whether the president is, is properly covered by the clause. And, and there is certainly academic debate about how we identify the difference between uh, money obtained in a an arm's length transaction and what is actually an emolument or an improper inducement. Um, but the larger question is really whether or not this is the sort of thing that should be handled in the federal court. The Emoluments Clause itself uh, gives Congress the authority to decide what the line is between a permissible and impermissible emolument. Uh, the Impeachment Clause specifically identifies bribery as a potential grounds for impeachment. So I think the larger question is whether or not this is the sort of thing that the political process should deal with or the sort of thing that should be uh, left in the hands of a, you know, a single federal judge in a single court case. Caroline, this, this organization also filed a separate complaint on Friday with the General Services Administration over provision in the Trump Organization's lease of the old post office building for the Trump Hotel. That provision prohibits any elected official of the United States government from being part of the lease or deriving any benefit from it. Does that sound like a clearer claim? Well, it also sounds like a clear claim. Um, I, I mean, I guess I, I think the Constitution, and just to uh, respond to Professor Adler, uh, you know, is specifically framed to ensure that when the political branches are failing, uh, that the judiciary can can have a role. So that, um, and it's, uh, this Congress is not necessarily one that is going to see fit, uh, and certainly not now, to explore a violation of the Emoluments Clause. Um, uh, but I do think that the the issue is very clear in the lease. Uh, that uh, it forbids uh, 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 an official of the government to um, uh, to have the same uh, to have that kind of relationship with the GSA. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that case proceeds as well. Um, but it certainly um, seems rather straightforward. Jonathan, uh, let, let's play this out just a little bit. Um, if a court were to find that uh, the president is in violation of the emoluments clause. Uh, what would happen there? So you, you have a court that orders him to, what, divest himself of, of these assets? Um, can, can, do, do we think that, that this president's actually going to uh, agree to do that? Is this, you know, should we be concerned that this is a getting, getting us into a real uh, constitutionally messy area? Well, that, that really highlights the problem. I mean, the idea that a federal court would be entrusted with overseeing the financial relationships of the president and deciding 
what is or is not an acceptable relationship when the Constitution expressly gives Congress that authority uh, would create a, a separation of powers nightmare. And it's well established uh, in the Supreme Court's jurisprudence that in these sorts of intra-branch uh, controversies and conflicts, particularly those that are designed to prevent protecting things like corruption, that it's not clear the courts have a role. So in cases like Nixon versus United States, the Supreme Court said, the courts have no ability to even ask whether uh, Congress followed proper procedures when impeaching a judge. That it's not a question of, well, Congress got it close enough. It's, courts have no jurisdiction to address the question. And that when we play out what would be involved if a crew were successful in the suit, we see why this is really not the sort of thing uh, that should be best handled in courts. And I say that as someone who agrees that there are serious questions about the president's potential conflicts of interest and who would like to see uh, more actions to, to assure all of us that proper financial separation has been made. I just really don't believe that, that litigation is uh, the way we accomplish that. Caroline, what's your response to that? Well, I mean, I think the Constitution um, makes it clear. Um, Congress can certainly consent to allow uh, the president to get gifts from foreign states. Um, it does, the clause does not, however, say that Congress will adjudicate whether the emoluments clause has been violated or not. So I think it stands apart from impeachment, which has that particular process laid out. Um, and when we are in a situation where the government, um, you know, is in, in essence a one-party state, uh, you know, we are we left to say that any ethics violation, any vi- constitutionally uh, uh, sufficient ethical violations that uh, the president is going to engage in, we just have to look the other way because nobody's going to be able to to do anything about it. I I can't imagine that that's what our framers um, were thinking when they constructed the emoluments clause, that there would be no no response uh, possible. So I actually think this is, uh, you know, it's something that uh, uh, it's it's the role of the judiciary specifically to enforce uh, these types of provisions in the Constitution. Jonathan, would uh, the standing argument be uh, stronger if, as I, I guess the ACLU is considering filing a suit on behalf of a competing hotel, for example, somebody who says, uh, I got less business because uh, people who might have stayed at my hotel instead go to stay at the Trump Hotel to curry favor with the new president? Would that be an argument that would get them over the standing hump? think that that argument might have some problems, but I do think it would be a significantly stronger argument for standing than we see in this case. Uh, Courts have recognized, at least in certain circumstances, that competitors can uh, have standing to challenge governmental actions which unfairly benefit uh, competing firms. Caroline, is a problem here that there is very little law as far as litigation on the emoluments clause? Yeah, well, that's certainly, to put it mildly, um, <laughs> um, I think which is why law professors love it um, in many ways. This is such a great um, area for uh, discussion. Um, it's intriguing. It's interesting. Um, but, you know, it, it really what it reflects is that the practice of our presidents till now has been consistent, that it, the expectation is so broadly shared that the president must make it clear to the American public that he holds our nation's interests ahead of his own. That it's the most important part of his job, that it is the duty that he holds. 
Um, and I think we're seeing that shaken. We've never, we've never had to litigate this before because presidents have made clear that they are not interested uh, in, uh, in, in, in misleading the American public uh, and that uh, we have standards for ethical behavior that they um, have attempted to follow. I mean, not always perfectly, perhaps, but um, I think we had some very strong norms about what was acceptable, and President Trump has violated every one of them. Jonathan, there, this issue did come up in a slightly different, uh, well, maybe a very, very different context uh, at the beginning of the Obama administration when uh, he was going to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize and, and there was a Justice Department assessment uh, that, that determined he would not be in violation of the Emoluments Clause by accepting the Nobel Peace Prize. Does that affect the analysis here at all in your mind? I don't know if that particular one does. I mean, there are there are examples going back through history where um, presidents have sought uh, legal opinions on whether or not they could accept certain sorts of things, and, and a handful of cases involving um, questions about uh, a president's uh, uh, own financial affairs. Not not cases like litigating in court, but but instances in which was, this was examined. But but Carolyn's right that that we don't have a lot that's on point. Uh, even the various uh, Office of Legal Counsel memos that address these questions um, are, are are rather thin on the things that are directly relevant to this lawsuit. So uh, we don't have nearly as much established precedent in this area as, as we would like to have uh, to bring some clarity. Caroline, as far as the litigation itself would go, you have to, even no matter which way a federal judge ruled, you have to believe that that's going to be appealed and appealed as high as it can go. So it would take, might take years for this to be decided. Potentially. Um, you know, hopefully I think the courts can recognize that, that uh, an issue of this importance requires expedited, expedited process. But, you know, legal work is never speedy, um, uh, so I'm expecting it'll take some time. Uh, but as that goes on, uh, you know, if they make it past the first hurdle and they get into discovery, there will uh, potentially be further information coming out that will uh, strengthen the case um, and strengthen the case uh, politically, perhaps as well as uh, legally. Um, and, you mean uh, the we'll tax maybe... returns? The tax returns, yes, indeed. Other types of uh, information that comes out about payments that may be being made. Um, because you know, I think you know what ultimately what everybody would want is 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 a, a administration, uh, a president who uh, follows the rules as they've been known till now. And if he if he decided to actually divest uh, from his uh, company, if he actually um, set up a process of screenings uh, that was appropriate, if he actually uh, 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 made it clear that his tax reform uh, tax tax returns would be available for people. I think, you know, all of this, you know, people would, would, would be much more confident and the, the lawsuits would go away. But until that happens, I think nobody can be confident that uh, um, we don't have a president who is in thrall of foreign governments taking payments uh, for, for services. And, uh, and I think um, as a result, I think the courts are going to certainly try and, and, and move um, as, in ex- expedited a fashion as they can. Um, that, not not necessarily speedy, though, as I said, because courts don't <laughs> work that way. We're talking about the new lawsuit filed today uh, involving the Emoluments Clause, accusing Donald Trump of violating the Constitution by uh, his business dealings with foreign governments. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.